Hey guys, we're so glad to have you guys here. Thank you so much for coming out and worshiping with us this Sunday. It is a beautiful Sunday, and it's even more beautiful because we have a packed house here tonight, or today, uh, worshiping the Lord together. So give it up. Give it up for a new rest. Yes, new year. If you guys are at home, you guys are doing your watch party, I want to give you guys a lot of love. I hope you guys are blessed through the message that we're going to see today, that what God is going to be speaking to us about. We are in a new series, and the series is called Fishers of Men. You know, this whole year... Our, our goal and our aim is, our theme is called Beyond the Wall, a year of restoration, yeah, a year of restoration. And we, and we, as leaders, came together and we, 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 we navigated and we, we, we molded this, this vision, this theme, because what we wanted to happen this year was a year where God's people returned back to God's foundational bedrock truth. And with that truth, be able to live out the narratives of this world that has been, you know, plaguing us this past year or the last year. And now knowing those things, knowing the truth or knowing how to navigate, knowing how to speak into this culture, into this time, being able to live a life that's fishers of men. Meaning being able to live a life that brings restoration to your family or restoration to yourself. First of all, restoration to your family, restoration to your work, restoration to your city, restoration to your church. Right? This theme of this year, uh, Beyond the Wall, Year of Restoration, is our hope that as people who bear the name of Jesus Christ, people who are followers of Jesus Christ, that what we will do instead of sitting around and complaining and 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 and, and talking and just pointing fingers that we will be a people, a generation, a group of brothers and sisters that takes the word of God, that lives it out faithfully in the world around us, that does not have to swing to whatever narrative that seems to bombard us, but that we are able to live out God's truth into this world, speak into its narrative, and then being able as people to bring restoration to wherever we step foot whether it's in our personal lives, whether it's in our work life, whether it's in our family life, whether it's in our church life or in our community, right? And that's the hope for this series because I really want to share with you guys that your, your, your call as a believer is not simply to be called in and to sit here and we do our kumbaya kind of deal, but that we are called in in order to be sent out to bring restoration to those around us. That you were called to be, as the Bible, as Jesus called his first people, fisher of men, right? To be fishers of men. And so that is our hope and our desire, okay? So today we're going to look at the passage where Jesus calls his disciples to be fishers of men. So open your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. We're going to read from 1 to 11. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Listen now for the word of God. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And what I want, what, what, what I want to talk about today is this, that before you can even you go out and be people that brings restoration, that you yourself must be restored, that you yourself must have the right identity before God, that you yourself must approach God in the correct relationship with him, okay? 
that you need to understand who you are before God and who he is before you. You got to have the right identity before you go out and you seek to bring restoration to those around you, okay, to your community. So check out, uh, I want you guys to read, as we read this, I want you guys to see a couple things. I want you to see um, the life of the disciples, what happens after Jesus told them to do this miracle, and then what did they, how was their response afterwards, okay? I want, to, I want you to see their response to it, right, and what he said to them about it, about their response. So check this out. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. All right, listen now for the word of God. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they had caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in their other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink too. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Left everything. Isn't that such a weird thing? Jesus does a miracle. He does a miracle. And the response that Peter gives to Jesus was, get away from me. Right? I am a sinful man. Stay away from me. Why is that? Let me share with you guys this, this picture. Let me give you the description here. See, so Jesus tells Peter, throw down your nets. Even though Peter's been working all night. So if you, are any, if you are any type of fisherman, you know that the best two times to catch fish is early in the morning or late at night. Right? And so Peter and his men been, and his guys have been working all night to catch fish. And they caught nothing. And now Jesus, in the middle of the day, decided to tell Peter, hey, Peter, Go out and put your nets down and catch some fish. And Peter was like, uh, man, like I know you a preacher and you holy and everything, but my job is to catch fish. And I'm going to tell you, we've been working all night, man. But you know what? Just because just you've been preaching a lot, I'm going to do what you say. I'm going to just do it. So he puts down the nets. He caught this fish. And not only did he catch some fish, but they realized it was a miraculous catch. It was not something out of the normal. It was something out of the abnormal. It was a miraculous catch that not only was their ship sinking, when they called in their buddy ship, that ship began to sink as well because the load was so heavy, right? And this was obviously a miracle, and Peter knows that this was a miracle, and that's why he said what he said. And some commentators, when, they, when you read this, it's, it's, it's probably the majority of these fishermen have never seen a catch like this ever before. That they're out there fishing to, ha to have a catch so bad, so great, that it would sink both ships. They've never seen it before. And so Peter's response was to Jesus, go away from me, for I am a sinful man. And Jesus' response to Peter was, no, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. What do we get from this? What do we get from this? 
if we are ever going to be a people that actually brings restoration, not just talk about it, not just, not just hope for it, if we're ever going to be a people that's going to actually help our community for reals, if we're ever going to be a people that's actually going to help our family for reals, if we're ever going to be a people that's going to help our church for real, what needs to happen first is this encounter with God personally. You got to have this encounter with God. That it would change, it would radically change who you are. Let me give you what that means, okay? When you encounter Jesus, when you encounter God, there is something that begins to happen to you. And you tell me if this happened to you before. There begins something to happen to you. You feel like a self-quake. You feel like something is terribly wrong inside of you. You feel like there is something that is really shaking inside your very being. I think you understand this feeling because if you, if you think about it like this, if you think you're a smart person, right, and you meet someone who is far smarter than you, how do you feel? It's pretty painful. When you, when you have made your identity among your peers and among your group as the really smart guy or the really smart girl that you got everything together, then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, when you meet somebody who's actually smarter than you, it actually hurts. There's a quaking in your heart. There's an anger here. Not anger, but maybe even like a sense of fear and dread, emptiness that begins to pour into you. Right? Another great example of this, I'll, I'll use a kid example because it's, it's more fun and you guys probably will wake up a lot better, right? My son thinks he's a Beyblade master, right? He's, been, he's into this Beyblade thing and he's just, every day he's like, he's been watching it, he's been training for it every single day. It's like three, two, one, let it rip and he watches it and it spins. He's doing great. Even like one of our brothers at church built him a stadium, which was, oh my gosh, right? He just uses it all the time. So he's doing this Beyblade thing and he's like, every day he comes to me, he's like, dad, I'm a, I'm a Beyblade master. Nobody can beat me. So who have you played against? Enoch. So who have you played against? Mom. I'm like, all right. He's like, said, I'm not going to lie to you. I show no mercy. He says, come on, Dad. Let's challenge it. All right, let's go. Right? So I grab him, and I do it. And I one, two, three, and I rip it. And, you know, first round, I didn't know what I was doing, so I, I, I lost. So I was like, oh, shoot. All right. All right, one more time. Right? So I, he's like, see, he told you, I thought I'm a Beyblade master. I said, look, I'm going to beat you this time. And I'm going to beat you ten times straight right here. Are you ready? And he was like, bring it. Right? And I did it. Ten, I'm a horrible father. I show no mercy. I, I kill him ten times straight. And after ten times, he realized, you, you can see as number seven win popped into his mind, as number eight win begins to pop, as, as, as he's trying everything he possibly can to make that thing keep spinning, by the tenth time I said, I'm sorry, man. Let it rip. You know? And just watching his face look down. Right? Look down. And, I, and, and afterwards, he looked up. He says, game dad yes right that's right you know when you think you're awesome at something and you encounter someone who is way better than you there's a quaking that begins to stir in your heart you understand this if you if you feel when you come in contact with someone smarter it's not only painful but it's psychologically disorienting Right? And that's one of the reasons why so many students who go off to college what happens is they lose their self-identity because 
You may be the best in your high school, but when you got to college, when you got to college, you realize you're just below average, and that becomes a very disorienting thing for you. I remember when I graduated from Lawara High School, I didn't realize how ghetto my high school was. I graduated second in class. I was like, yeah, I'm awesome. Got to UC Irvine, got my first C minus, and I realized I'm nobody. Laura High School number two guy was basically C minus dude at UC Irvine, and that it literally shook me to my core because you realize when you come into contact with something bigger, greater than you, it brings a self-quaking. You guys follow me? And that's just between people, right? If you're, if you're around someone, if ladies, if you're around someone that you think is far more beautiful according to whatever standards you use, far more lovely, far more wonderful, and you stand next to them, you begin to kind of like ask yourself, am I wearing the right dress? Do I look right? How's my hair? You begin to question everything about you because there's a self-quaking. There is a sense of you're looking inward and you're thinking, man, why is so-and-so like that? Or I'm not as pretty or I'm not as great or I'm not as good. You have a sense of dread that begins to stir, right? And that's just dealing with people. Imagine if you actually encounter God. You understand that feeling by just merely encountering people. What do you think it feels like if you actually encounter God? When people come to me and say, PT, I don't need to go to church to feel God. I feel God when I walk in nature. I feel God when I'm alone with him. I feel close to him as I'm just watering my plants. as I'm watching the game. And I tell them, I ask them, if I'm not in a good mood, I ask them, um, what do you feel when you encounter God? I feel peace and I feel spiritual. And I look at them and I say, you didn't encounter God. You didn't encounter God. I said, what do you mean? Let's do a thought process real fast. Okay. If, if there is a God, then he is infinitely more beautiful than you. Right? So by encountering him, you should feel unbelievably ugly, not peaceful, not spiritual. You should look at yourself and say, woe to me. Um, what am I? I'm an ant. I'm a cockroach before this God, right? Let's do a thought process. If, he's, if there is a God and he's infinitely wise and you come in contact with that God in nature or watering your lawn or whatever, you should feel what? You should feel stupid. You don't feel peaceful and spiritual. If you came in contact with an infinitely powerful, wise God, you will not feel so peaceful, so spiritual. You didn't contact God. Let's do a thought process. If there is a God and he's infinitely good and you come in contact with this infinitely good God, you're not going to feel peaceful and spiritual. You're going to feel small and flawed. You're following me? If you get this with just human interaction, why can't you understand this with a spiritual godly interaction? It's infinitely more than that. See, when the Bible said that after this miraculous catch, do you know what Peter felt? He was quaking in his spirit because he realized he was encountering something that was infinitely more wonderful 
more powerful, more glorious than himself. And his response to God was not so peaceful, Jesus, so spiritual. His response to God was, go away from me, I am a sinful man. And you see this throughout the scripture. You see this throughout the Bible. In Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah, Isaiah stood before God, and he saw the throne of God, and he saw the angels flying around. He saw with their wings, they covered their eyes. With their wings, they covered their feet. With two wings, they flew. And they cried out every day and night, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Isaiah, in his encounter with God, did not say, wow, so powerful, so peaceful, so spiritual. He said what? He said, woe to me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I come from a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the glory of God, and I should die. That was his response. He said, woe to me. Woe to me means I should die for what I am encountering at this moment. This infinitely good, wonderful, powerful God. His response was not so peaceful, so spiritual. If that's your initial response when it comes to God, you did not encounter God. You encountered something that you made up in your mind to make you feel better about your life. Because when you encounter God, it comes with a radical shift in your heart. It comes with a radical quake in your spirit. It comes with this realization that I am not good enough. I am not there. I am broken in every possible way. I am lost. That's why Job, Job, throughout 40 chapters, complained about God and why he's being punished. And God showed up. He showed up in the wind. And what did Job say? Job didn't say, wow, so peaceful, so spiritual. Job said, my eyes, my, my ears have heard, now my eyes have seen, and I tremble and repent in dust and ashes. You know what he's saying? He's saying, like, I've heard about you, now I have seen you, and I just want to lay down on the dirt and just be dirt right now. Because that's what I am. That's all I am before you. That's all I am before you. And so in this passage, in this passage, as Peter nears the divinity of Jesus and the reaction is to ask God to depart from him, that's the reality of what a believer, those who have encountered God, begins to experience. See, the Bible, what you don't realize is this. When you come in contact with God, there's two, there's two things that happens, okay? The first one I need you to get very clearly because the second one is beautiful, Right, the first one is a reality check, but the second one is very beautiful. The first reaction is you realize, you realize at this moment how radically self-centered you are. When you come in contact with a living God, you realize how radically self-centered you are. That even the good things you do, you do it for your benefit. You do it for your attention. You do it so that people will recognize. Even the good things that you do, you do it because you want the accolades or at least the feeling of, I did something good. It's not just about how bad you are. You see, when you come in contact with a living God, see, a Christian realizes it's not just the bad things we do, but it's also the good things that we do. We realize we do it for ourselves. We realize we do it to make ourselves known. We realize we do it because we want to bring attention to ourselves. We realize we do it because we want people to see how good we are, how great we are, what we've done to accomplish these awesome things. 
when you come into contact with God, you realize you are the most radically self-centered person that probably ever existed. That's why even Paul, Paul, the guy who wrote the majority of the New Testament, you would read him every single time and he would say what? I am the worst of sinners. I am the worst of sinners. You would think like, yeah, he did kill Christians, but he probably made up for it a lot, you know, at the back end of his life, right? And yet still, the closer he came in contact with God, the closer his relationship with God became, the more he began to realize how bent into himself he was. That he is way worse than he can possibly ever imagine about who he was. And that's what Peter realized at that moment when he encountered God doing this miracle. It wasn't just like, wow, so awesome. You made me a billion bucks with all this fish. He didn't say that. He wasn't like, wow, guys, we're rolling in the dough now, right? The first response he had when he encountered Jesus, the divinity of Jesus, was he said, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. I can't even have your presence here. That's the first reaction. That's the radical reality, wake-up reaction. But the second reaction, here's the beautiful thing. What did Jesus say? He didn't say, yeah, you're right. Later, right? <laughs> he didn't say, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I'm out of here, right? I'm definitely better than you. What did he say? He said, no. No. I'm not going to leave. No. Don't be afraid. Come with me. There's something I have to do and I want you to come with me. See, the first reaction we get when you encounter God is a reality check. Do you, have you had that, church? Have you had an actual reality check with your God? Or has somehow you still believe that when you encounter someone as infinitely beautiful, infinitely good, infinitely wiser, that your natural response was so peaceful, so spiritual? Your reality check should have been just as Isaiah cried out, woe to me, I am a man of unclean lips, and I've come from a people of unclean lips, and I should die. But the response from God is what? His response, when we have that reality check, his response is grace. His response was not, you're right, get out of my face, I'm done with you. His response was, I will not leave. Don't be afraid. I have something I have to do. I want you to do it with me. Jesus, after showing you who he is, the magnificence of himself, in order to do what? To break you down, to show you the reality of who you are, to, to eradicate everything you ever built your life on. He shows himself to you that way so that you would eradicate everything of your personal sense of identity, worth, or value. You thought you were a great businessman before the living God. You are still mere dust. You, great, you thought you were the most beautiful person that ever walked and graced this earth before the living God. You are just dust. You think you are the smartest person that can calculate mysteries and algorithms all across the, the math field? Before the living God, you are just dust. He breaks you down to tell you what? Everything that you have built your identity on, your worth, your value. You think you are a great mom, a great dad, a great husband, a great wife? Let me tell you, you are just dust. And everything that you do, you do it because... 
You seek to please yourself and to make yourself feel bigger. But once he shows himself to his people, once he allows for you to encounter him, to break away any of that facade, any of that outward mindset, any of that picture that you would even dare dream or think or even hold on to as your source of value, worth, or um, strength. And once he breaks all that stuff down, what does he do? He calls you in and he says, follow me. I have something for you that I'm going to give you. I want you to get rid of the identity that you've built on and I want you to take on the identity that I give you. I want you to eradicate the identity that basically is going to disappear and is worthless. And I want you to take on an identity that is forever. Right? And suddenly, suddenly the old thing that held you up isn't there anymore. All of a sudden, your, your, your idea like, you know what, I'm so rich, you don't even care. It doesn't hold you. Like, what, 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 what is the worth of millions if I do not have? This God. All of a sudden, the idea of your family, what is the worth of this beautiful family if I am disconnected from the one family that means everything? What is the worth of my art, my beauty, my works if I am to be taken away from something that is even more wonderfully beautiful and lovely? You begin to let go of all that has held you up and in its place, something solid, something unchanging, something that doesn't flow up and down based on your feelings, not based on your performance. And the minute that begins to happen, a lot of things begin to happen in your life. Your identity begins to change and all of a sudden, the way you approach the world begins to change. My question, church, is have you had that experience with God? Has God rocked you to your core where you understand deep down in the very depths of your very being that even the good that you do, even the best, the most beautiful thing that you do, you do it because you're just self, you're, 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 you're bent back into your own self. You're seeking for this own selfish accolade. And even the good that you do, you do it for your own selfish gains. But... If you begin to recognize what Peter recognized, if you begin to recognize what Peter recognized, that this God that I'm encountering is so great, so vast, so awesome, that it literally meant I am I am called to just be as far away from him as possible, and yet he calls me into his fold. Crazy. He calls me into this place. What begins to happen? What begins to happen? You know what begins to happen? You are now a vessel that's able to bring restoration to not only your work, not only your family, not only your church, to your community, to your city, to the world. You having this new identity now able to become a living blessing to the world around you. Let me show you how that shows up here, okay? What happened after Jesus said, don't be afraid, 
follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Verse 11. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Notice Jesus in the beginning of the story goes in and he told the professional, he told the professional fishermen how to fish. Is that crazy? Right? Like, if you were Peter and you saw, like, I mean, like, some of you guys, like, you know, if, um, if I came up to you, like, your, your field, this I came up to Chris. Chris, this is how you should sing, right? You know, like, Chris would be like, oh, all right, man, I appreciate you, PT, you know, you're the, you know, the pastor of our church, but uh, singing is my domain, you know, you stick to the preaching, man, like, you know, like, you would have that kind of, like, mindset going on, but look what Jesus says. Jesus comes in, he tells professional fishermen how to fish. He didn't say, well, I'm here only for your spiritual life, right? I'm here to, um, I'll leave that, I'll leave, this, I'll leave the work life, I'll leave the family life, I'll leave the church life, I'll leave the city life to you. I'm here just to work on your spiritual life. Mm-mm. Jesus came in to do what? I'm here to work on every part of your life. Your work life, your family life, your community life. I am here not just to deal with the, what you think as most people would think like church is all about, you know, just fixing your spiritual part. Uh-uh. When you encounter Jesus, he comes in and he says, let me encounter you in your work, in your family, in your church, in your community, in your city. He walks into Peter's life and he tells him how to fish, right? He doesn't say, um, he doesn't say, what, oh, sorry. Verse, what did they do? The moment after they were radically humbled by him, they lifted them up, lifted up by him. They changed their identity, they left everything, and they followed him. This means this. this. This does not mean that once you become a Christian, you should now be a pastor or be a prophet or be a minister. That's, that's not what it means. Right? At all. They left everything. What did they leave? They left their catch. This was a miraculous catch. You know how much money was in that catch? Right? Their whole entire life was built on what? An identity as fishermen. Right? They were, they were built on the identity of a fisherman, and they decided at that moment, I'm going to leave my profit, my success behind. Because my profit and my success is no longer what defines me. My profit and my success is no longer what makes me feel worthy and of value. My family is not what makes me feel of worthy and value. My church ministry, which I serve in and bless a lot of people, is no longer what makes me feel worthy of value. My community, which I serve and be a part of and fight for and protest with and walk with, is not what gives me my sense of worth and value. They were walking away from their catch. Think about this. Biggest catch they've ever seen in their life. Most miraculous catch in the world. Huge amount of money, okay? Follow me, Jesus says to Peter. If you were Peter, what would you say? No problem. Let me sell all this first, right? Let me, let me go to the market. Let me, let, me, let me just make the sale. And once that's done, I'm all yours, Jesus. Just wait 10 seconds, right? That's not what, Jesus, not what Peter said. Peter literally left it and followed Jesus. Now, can you imagine all the other fishermen as they're watching Peter, James, and John walk away from two boatloads of fish? If you were the other fishermen, what would you be doing? Um, they're walking away, guys. Uh, let's, um, 
let's grab it. <laughs> let's, it's, it's a lot of money, right? They walked away from that, right? Dude, let's get on this. They would have sold their fish. What this is ultimately saying is this. When you get a new identity in Jesus, when the, when, when the magnificent and the glory and the encounter of God radically shakes up your reality, and his grace speaks into your life to grant you this new identity, new worth, new value, what begins to happen is your work, right? Before Christ, you want to be successful. You would like to make a profit. That's important to you. Before Christ, family growing up wonderfully, beautifully is important to you. Before Christ, seeing what you accomplish, your success in your career is important to you. Before Christ... Right? What you do in the community is important to you. After Christ. Here's the thing. It's so important to you, by the way. It's so important to you that you might even do illegal, shady, hurtful, ruthless things to make it happen. You guys remember the story of all those uh, the Hollywood moms who uh, um, got their kids into uh, USC because uh, they, 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 they cheated or they, 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 they doctored their SATs and they got all these things going, right? Made a bunch. You guys remember that story? I think, uh, uh, I, her name. I think Lori Laughlin, right, from uh, the thing. She got thrown in jail for that. But pretty much what happened, her family's success was so important to her as a woman, as a mother of identity, what did she do? She was willing to lie, to cheat, to manipulate, to coerce, to get her two daughters who didn't really want to go to USC. They just wanted the experience of it to get into USC because the brand name of that school was so great. See, before Christ, your identity is, is so held that you would do whatever it takes to hold on to it. That if you are a successful business person, that you might actually be ruthless, that you might lie, that you might manipulate, that you might be shady in the way you do business so that you can make that profit and that success. Your work, your family, your community, your church becomes your identity. How many of you guys are like that? You know the names of like, um, you know, back in the day, Smith, Fisher, Weaver, Baker? Those were positions, right? Now they're last names, right? A lot of people have Baker as a last name, Smith as a last name. Those were all position or jobs, but those jobs became identities. When your work becomes your identity, you become enslaved to it. When your work becomes your identity, when your family becomes your identity, when your community becomes your identity, when your church becomes your identity, you become enslaved to it. Because when it's successful, when you're successful, it goes to your head. But when you are not successful and you fail at your work, it goes to your heart. Right? When you are enslaved by something that you make as your identity. And I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, pastor's confession before, church has always been a big, 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 big struggle of an idol and identity for me. So when TLC is successful, hey, you know, I try to be humble about it, but like, hey, we're doing pretty good. Right? But when TLC fails or unsuccessful, it goes to my heart. What am I doing wrong? How did I fail them? I messed up. It's all on me. Right? See, when you are enslaved by an identity, it goes to your head if you're successful, but it goes to your heart if you fail. You guys know this. When you're enslaved to your work and things are going well in your work, 
I'm great. When things fail in your work, you feel like what? You feel low. You feel like nobody. And same thing with relationship. Same thing with family. Right? But what this passage is saying is that when you're in Christ and there's a new identity, you can walk away from profit and success. Because if you're in a job and it forces you to do something shady, illegal, and hurtful, because you have a new identity, what do you do? You walk away from it. Because your job is something that you can freely use to love and bless people with, not create value and worth for yourself. Your family is something that you can use or, or, or seek for to bless and, 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 and um, bless and love people with is not your sense of worth and value. Your family becomes a place where you can love your children, bless your husband, bless your wife, raise them up well, right? And not becomes this, this place of unless they're great, then I will feel great. But if they fail, I will feel like a failure. That's your identity. But when your identity is in Christ, it changes everything, guys. When your identity is in Christ, you're able to use those things to love and bless freely. You're not going to go shady, illegal, lies, coerce, manipulate to get what you want because you don't need it. You only lie, cheat, coerce, manipulate because it means more to you than anything else. So you have to have it. And you will do whatever it takes to keep it. You will lie to your husband. You will lie to your wife. You will lie to your children. You will lie to your bosses. You will lie and you will manipulate and you will coerce in any possible way to keep what you value. But if your identity is in Christ, you are free. You are free to love. Because if you lose the job, you're like, okay, well, the job was meant to bless and love people anyways. Right? There's another job coming. Right? When your sons and your daughters get into puberty and they no longer want to talk to you, right? Or they kind of shut you out. That's okay. You can freely say, I'm not going to like die now because they don't love me anymore, right? You would say, I'm still free to love them even though they're being brats right now. When your husband and your wife are being in their mood and they're trying to separate or exclude you from their life and they're doing, giving you the cold shoulder or the, no, uh, the silent treatment, you don't have to respond by saying, oh, I'm nobody. I hate, they hate me. Things are horrible. You begin to be able to say, what? I can still love them and bless them. Because my identity is not in them. But when it is, what do you do? I will lie to my husband and my wife so that they will, you know, stop doing this. I will manipulate, coerce, and even bring, deme- uh, even, even bring fear to my child. So that they can do what I want them to do. When your identity is in your work, you will do what? You will lie to your business partners, to your clients, so that you can actually get the profit or the job. Because it would mean everything to you. But when you are free, church, when your identity is in Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, when you have had the radical reaction that comes from encountering the living God and you have felt the beautiful grace that comes when he calls you into his fold and says, follow me. I have a job to do. And I want you to be a part of that job. You have a new identity. And that identity allows for you to do what? 
you can leave your profit and your success behind. Because it does not value. You don't have value in that. Do you have that church? Do you have that identity in Jesus? Because before we can even dream about restoration of anything and bringing hope to anywhere, the real question is, do you even have that hope in your life? Is Jesus Christ truly your Lord and your Savior? Have you encountered him in such a way where your heart breaks at the at the realization of who he is, and yet is lifted up by the beauty of the grace that he pours out to you? Or are you still trying to prove yourself to yourself and to those around you? Putting up a facade in your ministry. Trying to show everyone that you're not a fraud when you know deep down inside you have no idea what you're doing. Are you in your relationship Trying to manipulate and coerce that person to stay with you and love you. Even though deep down inside you know if they would see you, they would, if you were honest with them, thinking that they might actually leave you. See, your identity when it's in Christ Jesus, listen church, when it's in Christ Jesus, you are free. Just as Peter, James, and John were free to do what? Walk away from profit and success. Because their work was no longer their identity. Their profit was no longer their identity. Their success was no longer their identity. Their identity is in Jesus Christ and who he says they are. And their job that they do now, they use it to bless and to love people. Let me tell you a story and I'll end it today. All right? Remember when, uh, when Masa did that um, apologetic thing? When they got... Um, People, there's a panel, right? They got Pastor Bumble from RP. They got John Rittenhouse, Bible professor on apologetics to come. And we got the two churches show up and we're supposed to answer questions. I am not going to lie to you at that moment. I felt like I am screwed, right? In my head, in my, at that time, I was like, John, I know John. Right? I know John, Dr. John Rittenhouse. I've been around him for a while. And I was like, what am I going to say? Like, like they're going to find out I don't read as much as they think I read, Right? What am I going to say, right? And like, and, and, then, and then it says, Pastor Bumble, that man's been in ministry for years. Well, I'm, I'm going to talk? And then they're going to realize you have no idea what you're saying. And I was like sitting there, and I was, but I was like, but you know, being me, I was like, I'm, I'm just going to fake it till you make it, right? So first few questions started popping out, and John was like, boom, 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 giving these anecdotes and these stories. And then like, PT, it's your turn. I'm like, mm, and I you know, try to start, like, saying things, and, and the more I start saying it, the more it, it came out like, like I'm just blabbering, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is it. My whole church is going to find out I'm a fraud at this moment, right? I have no idea what's going on, right? And I was sitting there, and the whole time, you know why? You know why that was, that, that was like this, it was eating me up inside. I was like, I was like oh, I'm so screwed. I'm so screwed, right? Every question I was asked, I was trying to avoid the questions after a while. I was like, you should take it, Pastor Bumble. What do you think, right? John, what do you think? I was just passing it back and forth. But the whole time I was thinking, man, when you have built, when you, when you have placed your identity, and we, and we fall back into this all the time, right? And that's why we need the gospel of Jesus Christ to remind us all the time. When we place our identity in our wisdom, in our knowledge, in our reputation, all of a sudden, when something like that happens, 
right? You feel unbelievably, it hits you to the heart. And it freaks you out. And I remember sitting there. If you, if you guys like watch the thing again, you, you'll, you'll see the moment when I switched, okay? When I switched back to like, okay, I am a freaking son of Jesus Christ, right? I am loved by him. I can, I've been pastoring for 16 years. I can answer these stupid questions, right? I know these answers. What am I freaking out for, you know? And so I remember I was sitting there. I was like, Lord, I'm really sorry. In my head, I was like looking at like people, but I'm like, I'm really sorry. Because I have made my identity so much in how well I think I can personify myself to those around me. Lord, you have called me. You have loved me. Even though oftentimes I feel like a fraud. And you call me into a ministry with these brothers and sisters. You have trained me. You have given me the words. And so God... Next question, I'm just going to give it up to you. I'm just going to, I'm a pastor. I can answer a question, right? And when my realignment of my identity fell back on Jesus, then I felt a little more comfortable. Then John was like, you know, even when John said like, when I said something that was contradicting John, right, I think John was like, do you guys believe in evolution? I said, yeah, kind of. John said, no. I'm like, well, tch, tch, I don't know about you, bro, right? But let me tell you why, right? Like, it was, it was, we weren't able, it wasn't like, he said, no, like, now nah, I feel like I'm screwed. But it was like this conversation where we said, you know what, we can have this talk. And we can have this conversation. Because why? My identity is not in whether God on the right or God on the left sees me as or whether my church sees me. My identity is in what Jesus says I am, who I am. And so my gifts and my words are for who? It's to love and bless my church. And when that becomes the focus then becomes the blessing. You guys follow me? Right? When that becomes the focus, then comes the restoration. And we fall back on this problem all the time, church. We forget our identities. And when we do, when we do, the only solution you have, the only move you have, the only, the only trick, the, not even a trick, the only salvation you have is in Jesus. It is the gospel. You go back to it and you remember, Jesus, if you are willing to die on the cross for me, unworthy as I am, that you would willing to die on the cross for me, it must mean, it must mean that I am worthy, that I am loved, that I am somebody in your eyes, at least in your eyes. And that before an infinite, wonderful, beautiful God is enough. And when I know my identity in the living God, I can live and be second in the world and not be afraid. Because why? Who cares about being first? When I have the ears and the heart of a living father. You can go in the world and not feel loved by your family or your friends or your kids. To be rejected by them and say, okay. But my identity is not in them. Who cares about their love when I have the love of the Father? When you go into the world and find out that you don't have to be successful, you don't have to have the six million, you don't have to have the bank account, you don't have to have the saving account. Though those things are important, family is important, all this is important, but they are not what gives you worth and value and means because who cares about the money when you know that you are a son of the richest king? Your identity is set. And so you live 
now to love and to bless, not to prove and to seek. You have his love so you can do all things. Not that you do all things now to get love. You guys get me? You have his love so now all things are possible. You want to be a good mom, good dad? You have his love. You're, being a good mom and good dad is not determining whether your kids love you or not. Being a good mom and good dad is whether you know the love of the Father to you and you express that love to your family. Being successful in the world around you is not whether you can make the six figures or have the huge bank account. Being successful is the reality, you know what, I can let it go. That it doesn't define who I am, my worth, my value. Because I have worth and value in who Jesus Christ says that I am. And he showed me that I have that worth and that value because he died on the cross for me. Have you guys experienced him that way? Where is your identity, church? My brothers, my sisters, are we playing church? Or is this a house of people who have encountered the living God who is now wrestling and getting rid of their old life and being restored now by the life that he gives to you so that you can go and bring restoration to the world around you. I pray, my prayer, is that you have your identity in Jesus. And whatever it is that still holds your identity, that you would seek for it to die. For it will only enslave you. It will only enslave you. If you're successful, it goes to your head. If you're a failure, it goes to your heart. Only in Jesus. If you're successful, you praise God. And if you're a failure, you praise God. 